Today on Sharp Scratch, you'll learn why patients enjoy talking to medical students, when not to use pointy fingers, and why it's okay to have to learn empathy. You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 21, Working with Patients. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we talk about all the things you want to know to be a good doctor, but that you don't necessarily get taught at med school. I'm Anna, and I'm a final year medical student at King's, and I'm also the editorial scholar here at the BMJ. And I'm absolutely delighted to be here in the studio with my good friends, Laura and Raihan. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Laura. I'm a fifth year medical student at the University of Cambridge. Hi, I'm Raihan and I'm an intercalating medical student at Imperial College, struggling to get by. Mm. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me again, guys. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about a group of people that medical students and junior doctors interact with nearly every single day, um, patients. The three of us here are medical students, right? So we're specifically going to be talking about how medical students sort of interact with patients and I don't know about you both but I've sometimes found it quite awkward just because I feel kind of bad that I'm not really part of the the clinical team right so whatever I'm doing with a patient isn't necessarily going to contribute to the plan for their care so I kind of feel like sometimes maybe I'm like wasting their time I don't know how you guys feel about sort of seeing patients sometimes even like begging for their time like, yeah excuse me sir might I trouble you for just 10 minutes yeah definitely. 30 minutes one hour of your time <laughs> yeah no it's it's kind of hard to get used to I mean especially when I came back to university after having had a job it was really difficult to go back into clinical school and go on placement yeah. and not ne- not have much to offer the team Mm. I I mean, I'm being an optimist. I do believe there is something valuable that medical students bring to the team, but not nearly as much as a, a newly qualified doctor or a more senior doctor, right? Mm. Or anyone else on the healthcare um, team. I think I was quite lucky in my GP placement. So our GP would have real patients that would come in for an actual condition and, and a problem, but he would ask them on a Wednesday right, do you want to see a student doctor, which will take a little bit more of your time, or do you want to see me? Either way, I will be the one who's going to, like, check your, you know, your history and everything, but the, the student will be the first person to, to speak to you if, if you choose to, to go through. So we would take the history, and then we just feed it back to the doctor, and it was nice because I felt like the doctor could go and then take a history of another patient while we're taking... Um, this patient's history and it's more efficient well I think it is but the Mm. time discussing and I don't know some me asking do you have any pets being irrelevant (laughs) to their menstrual history is like (laughs) you never know (laughs) you never know I mean I had really similar GP placements and I think that certain patients do benefit from having more time to say everything to get everything off their chest even if you end up going through it twice when the doctor goes through it again I think some people benefit from the sort of the therapeutic effect of mm. having professional attention. Mm. And I think some patients as well, they like being able to speak to a, a student, a medical student, because a lot of them, they're quite happy afterwards. Like 
sometimes I'm a bit surprised. Like, okay, I've, I, I feel bad. I've, I've just wasted 50 minutes of your time trying to take a social history when I don't really need to. But at the end of it, they're like, do you know what? I gave my time up to you because you are, you are the future of our NHS. And they mm. feel passionate. Like, they're very strong and passionate about the NHS. And they feel like they're contributing. That mm. time that they've given up, they feel like they're contributing, mm. which is very nice and, and very helpful for us. Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes like what we can add as medical students is just like having obviously that extra bit of time. And, and sometimes, like you say, particularly in a GP setting, someone might need a little bit more time. So I didn't really want to have this discussion without actually hearing from the people it most affects, right? Great. So I spoke to some really great people, uh, a lot of who are actually on the BMJ's patient panel, um, about their experiences interacting with medical students in actually quite a variety of different settings. Um, So we're going to hear from some of them. But uh, first off, you've already kind of touched on this, I think, a little bit, Raihan. Um, But the three of us go to different medical schools. So I just kind of wondered what is offered at your medical schools in terms of like learning from patients because at King's we have expert patient educators and you get offered like an hour slot with them an hour session and you can really sort of take a really full history and Mm. examine them and they'll give you really like honest feedback um so I just wondered like what you guys had like what did you have at when you were Um, in school in our third year so we had what we called a foundation block and this is where we were like Every week was a new theme. So one week was respiratory, one week was cardiology, and one week was gastro. And during that time, we'd be taught about the conditions during the morning and in the afternoon, a patient with a cardiovascular condition or respiratory condition would come in and we'd be asking them questions and taking a history. And basically, it would be like a circuit. So we'd be split into groups and we'd have like six patients or whatever to talk to and and they'd all have a different condition and we'd have to take history and we'd get not marked but given feedback and assessed on it and then after we've done our foundation then they unleash us on the wards (laughs) okay so you actually get some experience with Mm -hmm. patients before you encounter patients on the wards that sounds really good i don't think i had any stuff with patients before i actually went on the wards the first time because i went on the wards when i was in first year so yeah, so we, we have a very different system in Cambridge. We've got this traditional course yeah. where you've got three years of almost purely lab, lecture-based stuff, and then three years of almost purely clinical stuff with very little connection because until a couple of years ago, people could leave after three years and go to different universities. And so before clinical school, we had a course called Preparing for Patients where we got two mornings in <laughs> a GP an afternoon or two in hospital, three three like meetings with uh, a pregnant lady, three or four, mm-hmm. uh, and another section that was like half a day in alternative therapy and half a day in charitable extras. Yeah, and <laughs> and we got a little bit of training and feedback throughout, but it was just it was really odd to be just let loose into a GP for a morning without any idea of how to take a history, how to introduce mm. yourself, how to construct a consultation. Oh, it was so random. And then by the time you get to clinical school, like those little bits are, it's more like a taster than an actual preparation mm. at the moment. Although I'm sure the the course will become more integrated now that everyone continues yeah. mm. for the full six I years. I think this is good because you, you went to a university that provided like a traditional mm. course structure. Ours was what you call it integrated. So you'll mm. get two different perspectives. Yeah. yeah, yeah what definitely. about yours, Anna? Yeah, so I I mean, I remember the first time I went on the wards and I was like so bewildered. King's is like 
semi-integrated, semi-traditional, and okay, yeah, so in between both of us. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, getting some some interesting perspective here. So the first person that I spoke to um, is Amy, and she actually has lots of experience helping medical students to learn in her position as a patient. So let's hear from Amy. Hi, um, I'm Amy Price, and I'm a research editor for the Public and Patient Partnership with the BMJ, and I'm also a senior research scientist at the University of Stanford. And I would love if they used medical students early. At the University of Stanford, we have a summer institute for high school and undergraduate students. Right there at the beginning, we have our students interact with patients, do projects, uh, innovation projects to help the patients, and they get an idea of what it's like from the patient's side because they're talking face-to-face with the patient. So empathy, uh, which where people think, oh, well, that's something that's inborn. Actually, it's not. It has to be observed. It has to be trained, just as children, uh, tiny children, need to learn to be kind to pets. Student doctors need to learn how to interact best with patients. And it's best if being a doctor is is not what you thought it would be, and you actually don't want to interact with patients, then that gives you the opportunity early to go into another field. And if you want to interact with patients, but you're, um, you're shy or, or you don't really know how, you don't know what kind of communication style to use, sometimes that's something that we have to try out for ourselves because we can't just be like a doctor who trained us. Our personality is going to come out in the way that we practice medicine or the way that we practice healthcare, And so this gives you the opportunity to look at, as a medical student, a difficult situation um, with a mentor there, but also with a patient who can work with you. And I want to say from experience that the experiences that I have had where medical students have helped me just with um, a kind word or, or maybe an observation that the doctor didn't have time to give those words, that kindness, has stayed with me for a lifetime. So medical students really, really provide a great service uh, to medicine, even though they're not before, even before they're fully trained for medicine. So I think that was quite heartwarming at the end, you know, letting us know that we are actually doing a good job. Love that. But I think what I found so interesting um, talking to Amy is what she said about um, empathy having to be modelled. And Mm. I think that there kind of is an element of like, okay, yeah, most people go to medical school because they want to help people. And there's kind of an assumption that you should just know how to do that. But actually, it's such a foreign setting. Like, you wouldn't show empathy to patients in a professional setting in the same way that you might show empathy in other settings. Mm. Um, So I thought that was really interesting that she kind of picked up on that have you guys ever um like got any really good examples of when you've seen like a healthcare professional show empathy in a professional way because I think sometimes it's a bit like especially when you're at the beginning of your sort of medical career you're like how on earth do I balance remembering everything I have to say being professional and you know being kind and and showing that I empathize with what this person's going through like, it's challenging. Mm, I've thought of someone who modelled that so, so well in one of my first placements. It was on my first ever GP placement, which was actually just two one-off days in one of these practices. And I can't remember what his actual name was, but I call him Dr. Smiley in my head because he was a very <laughs> smiley guy. And he um, 
he used the history taking model that we'd learnt really recently in our clinical communication skills classes and he used it in a way that wasn't like a robot he used it like it was meant to be used so he'd take a history of the problem and then he'd ask in the most thoughtful way in a way that I'm not sure I've quite like managed to get a handle on what was worrying the patient most about their problem and so the, the one that I remember most of all is a, is, a, is a woman who came in with a sore thumb and he took a history as you do and then towards the end he asked in such a really kind thoughtful way in a way that I'm not quite sure that I've managed to grasp he asked about her concerns you know what is worrying you most of all about this and she explained that the pain in her thumb was stopping her from doing some crafts that she was working on which had become really important to her since she'd been recently diagnosed with a chronic condition that was stopping her from doing the normal things that filled her day. And so what seemed at first to be quite a minor, easily solved problem of a sore thumb actually had like much bigger implications for her and her health. And he, he was empathetic in that he took the time to explore the, sort of the physical problem but also at the end made a plan for her thumb but also made a plan for like how she could get how she could join support groups for her mm-hmm. chronic condition and, and sort of really made her whole story heard and responded to yeah I, that guy made me want to be a gp actually <laughs> watching him do consultations what about you Ryan? i don't know i think the one time i did see it was breaking bad news and she came across as like she's very cold or strong and uh, you know people might call it whatever like different people call it different things but what I thought was I don't see much empathy in her but when she had to break bad news this one time and it was a patient that we'd been seeing for quite a while and the patient didn't have long left to live because of um, cancer that was the first time I saw tears in her eye when she was breaking the news to the patient and I just thought I'm guessing she really feels for the patient and she understands what the patient's gone through because her children were all there. And that moment in time, I was like, you know what, as a doctor, it's okay to cry. Like, if, of course, we can't be the ones where, you know, the patient's offering their shoulder for us to cry mm. on. But mm. it's okay to, to, to show them that you do really think about their situation as an individual. Mm. And these kind of doctor-patient interactions, they're the ones that we see and we think, oh, that's the kind of doctor I want to be, right? That's when I realised, okay, no, it's okay to to be like that, to really understand what the patient has gone through. Mm. Yeah, and I think also, like, that's that's an authentic reaction, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that I was always a bit scared of when I was first learning how to see patients, was that my... I couldn't let my personality show because that wasn't professional. Yeah. But actually, then you just end up like being this kind of robot that mm. isn't really reacting to what the patient is saying. And I still think, like you say, I, I still sometimes find it difficult to balance that like professionalism with wanting to be myself, but like a professional version of myself. I completely um, understand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Next up, we're going to hear from some more patients about their interactions with med students. But that'll be right after this. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defense organization that protects doctors all over the world. 
From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. Okay, back to the show. Let's hear from Mike. So hi, I'm Mike, uh, Mike Scott. I'm a kidney patient um, since my mid-teens, really. And um, the current situation is I have the second transplant. Yeah. So um, working with uh, medical students at the point where they transition into working with people, particularly with the uh, examination of my uh, abdominal aorta, I'm very skinny and um, uh, unless I'm able to uh, uh, feel empowered to say anything, uh, I'm often hurt by people who are um, pressing too hard and using some inappropriate techniques, fingertips, uh, digging really much too deeply um, for someone skinny like me. I feel that uh, people who are examining me seem to be looking for an organ at all costs ra- rather than just uh, excluding the possibility of organomegaly and I'm particularly highlighting the examination of the abdominal aorta. So what do you guys think about this idea of sort of trying to find an organ at all costs? I mean, uh, what a legend Mike is for letting med students go again and again at his abdominal aorta. him. Wow. Really such legends. No, I mean, I, yeah, we get taught like a fixed way of doing examinations and so on, don't Mm. we? And we have to be so thankful to the patients who actually say something when we're doing something that's Mm. too painful or, you know, or so on. Because I think, particularly in some of the bedside teaching we get where there's a group of med students and a doctor mm. and a patient there who might be examined more than once that it might be quite an intimidating setting in which to mm. say anything and so shout out to all the patients who <laughs> who say something and help us learn and give us active feedback like that because mm. that is so important for all the patients that come down the line yeah yeah and I think for us as well as students we kind of just want to get everything right and you know we want to feel a liver and we want to blot a kidney and stuff Mm. but actually yeah like you say it's it's really important to remember that it's not just a walking set of signs and symptoms and it sounds so simple but actually when you're I think when you're concentrating so hard on remembering to do an examination in the way that you've been taught and maybe you're being observed by your peers and by like a senior doctor Mm. um it's really difficult to do sometimes forget that there's a real patient they do feel pain because sometimes I've felt like I'm in a room there's six other medical students watching me Mm. watching my every move waiting for me to make a mistake so they can laugh at me as a joke like they're friends as well so like (laughs) (laughs) as an aside (laughs) just just to let you know they're not medical students uh, medical students are not just pure evil (laughs) Um, so like you know to, to to make a comment on it like after the consultation and then there's a doctor who's a a consultant in that specialty 
So any false move you make will be picked up for sure. And that's, that is a good thing. Yeah. That's, that's good learning. It's a good but, thing. But at the same time, you, you feel the pressure. sometimes forget that, okay, am I pressing too hard on the patient? You forget that empathy. And mm. that's where it's like, okay, mm. it's, it's very difficult to balance. Yeah. I once had a doctor, he, he listened to a patient's heart and said, would you like to listen? And so we said, oh, excuse me, is it all right if I listen? And then put the stethoscope on the patient, had a listen, and then sort of stepped back. And he said, how dare you? Why didn't you introduce yourself? This is a person. <laughs> um, and it was quite shocking because it it's quite an unusual situation. Yeah. And <laughs> perhaps a, a, quite an extreme reaction, particularly in front of the patient. We didn't love it. But still, it, it, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was good to... Uh, <laughs> A good lesson to learn, even when you're under the eye of a doctor, like it is more important to treat the patient mm-hmm. as a as an individual. Yeah, like remember that the consultant is not the centre of the universe. Mm. Actually, the most important person in that particular room is the person who's not well mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. needs help. And yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of it comes down to just being mindful about it. And yeah. hopefully that's what we can kind of do with this podcast is just make sure that people are just taking that extra second to sort of think about this might be a learning opportunity for me that I'm going to go and reflect in in my logbook later but actually for the person who you're interacting with that might be an interesting part of their day and not so good part of their day depending on mm. you how like you mm. behave yeah so do you know one thing I found helpful was because I fell into that trap quite often like sometimes forgetting that there's a real patient and so one thing that I noticed was quite helpful was when you enter the room and when you're you're sat right in front of the patient, speak to them, speak to them on a normal level. Like as in, imagine you're at a bus stop just and there's a stranger and you're both getting on the same bus and you're, you're probably going to uh, start a conversation. Ask them one or two questions. Oh, how was your journey today? Or little things like this. And you'll be surprised. You learn quite a lot about them. And mm. those one or two things are what you, you, you will remember of the patient once you finish there's so many patients that I remember because of a little story that they've told me. Like, oh, I fought in, in World War Two, or mm. um, I was in the army or I used to be a milkman. Like, and, and, and a little story, a spin-off story of, of mm. that. And when you, when they tell you that, you become, I don't know, you feel like you have a connection with a patient and mm. you then realise, okay, there's, there's an idea, they have an identity. And, and mm. Another thing that Mike is doing for all the med students that he's helping out in this way is helping them understand how different bodies work. Like, I don't know about mm. you, but if someone presses on my abdominal aorta, it doesn't hurt me. I don't have a skinny body habitus. <laughs> uh, you know, it's all fine for me. Mm. And, and I just have to think of the patients who teach us at Cambridge Clinical School, mm. and they, they teach us how to do intimate, intimate examinations. Mm. Um, uh, and I believe they get paid for it and they get trained on how to do it. And then as a pair of teachers, lay sort of lay people, mm. people with experience of these examinations as patients and a pair of students for like an hour and a half in an evening teach us, first of all, demonstrate how to do the examination, the intimate examination, and then allow us to perform mm-hmm. on them, giving us live feedback Wow, that like that makes such a massive yeah. difference. Yeah. Yeah, you know, to be able to do those, well. you do as well. Yeah. It's so good, it's isn't amazing. it? Amazing. To be able to do those examinations on someone who'll tell you honestly whether something hurts or not. Mm. <laughs> you know, because you might be like unsure about how firmly to press or how how far to go, and it's just so helpful to have someone who 
mm-hmm. is perhaps a little bit more empowered given their sort yeah. of teacher role mm. to be able to say to you how how to do the examination well and also to the best of the patient's comfort. Mm. I think there's all sorts of fantastic ways that medical schools are sort of working with patients in order to actually embed the things that patients need right at the beginning of the curriculum Mm. not just having everything being led by clinicians and kind Mm. of yeah it's like the same with research right there's recently been a big push to get patients involved in very early stages of research even come you know coming up with the research questions because there's no point answering a question that is not important to patients right Mm. so I think that's really interesting and I'm really glad that like to hear that other medical schools do that as well Mm. because yeah I had a really good experience at King's what about you Raihan does your school do this um the more intimate examinations we do on like a mannequin but we do have patients that come in and we we, for example in the foundation block we have patients with cardiovascular diseases or Mm. gi conditions Mm. and respiratory conditions and and i I think that's really helpful it it really does prepare you for what you're about to see on the wards we have a few of those sessions too like one-offs where patient it's called the patient voice that's what the sessions are called and they're Mm. during our lecture weeks and a patient will come in and talk to us for an hour about their perspective of their disease Mm -hmm. and some of the most memorable ones recently have been about someone telling us about their experience of psychosis someone telling us their experience of having cancer when they were a child Mm. and how that's affected their life going forward and the little learning nuggets from them have really stuck with me like you know I was on my psychiatry placement recently and I just had so many opportunities to reflect on what this patient from this patient voice session had told us which is Mm -hmm. about that period of time when you start to develop insight into Mm. the voices you're hearing and understanding they're not real but when you're not well enough to go home and in that period of growing insight that the psychiatric hospital can be quite um a scary place to be once you Mm. once you start developing insight into your illness Mm. and you start to be aware of your surroundings and be a bit unnerved and nervous about the way that other patients might still Mm. be behaving quite unpredictably Mm. and so on so yeah Mm. it's really interesting you um make a point about psychiatric wards because um the next person we're going to hear from has experience talking to med students in that kind of inpatient setting um so let's hear from sarah I'm Sarah. I'm a member of the BMJ patient panel. It's mainly been I've been on inpatient units and it's generally been with medical students who are perhaps thinking of considering our career in psychiatry, but they don't really know. And they've been asked as a task, as a learning task, to take a history from a patient. And I've been asked to volunteer and I have volunteered within such settings. You're always aware of how uh, certain stereotypes can precede you. Mm. and how you may be interpreted or misinterpreted, particularly by young people who perhaps, you know, um, haven't met many such patients, you know, and and don't have the experience of how diverse uh, mental health presentations can be and how it's only one aspect of one's personhood. It's not necessarily the dominant or most influential factor. Um, I'm always wary of having my sentences being completed. I have had the experience of when I've been in an interview with a student and I pause to collect my thoughts and the student completes my sentence, whether or not they're anxious to hurry the learning task along or I don't know. But that's been an interesting experience. I think there is a lot of goodwill amongst mental health patients, you know, to be involved in, in medical students' training and have a positive impact on that. The main thrust of the impact patients want to see is the dispelling stereotypes, you know, um, 
technicians having a greater epistemic regard for patients and also, you know, to be heard and to be validated. That's, that's really sums it up. So I think a lot of Sarah's points were completely applicable to any patient you might and indeed any person right Mm. you want to be heard and you you want to be validated and obviously there's some situations and potentially some patient populations where that's not happened in the past um there may be settings where that's not even necessarily happening now so I think it was great talking to Sarah and the bit I kind of wanted to draw out actually for us to chat about is um what she was saying about someone finishing her sentences that's the bit that stuck out to me too yeah Yeah. and I think you know it is easy when you're nervous to have like nervous tics which I know I'm really bad at like swinging on my chair and stuff and that's something that I have to physically stop myself from doing in an OSCE but yeah you do that in an OSCE yeah, when I was in second year, that's the, not a sign of the nervousness. Feed, that's confidence. In, no, the feedback in my OSCE was like, "Stop swinging on your chair." Wow. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even notice I was doing that. Wow. But, but, but yeah, like that. How horrible to have your yeah, your sentence finished true. when you're just trying to like help someone and yeah. you know help them. We're trying to get your thoughts right? together and try and be be as honest as possible. Yeah, but that means being comfortable with silence, though, right? As the med student or clinician. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it can be so easy to try and like fill an awkward silence mm. just with more words. But I wondered if you guys had had any or maybe even given feedback to some of your peers about nervous habits they might have that could kind of come across wrong. Um, I mean, there's the classic sort of tick of saying, okay, okay, or great, great, as a mm. filler for when you're, you know, the sort of active listening kind of yeah. sounds. Um, and if you get one that's yeah fine or great or... If Good. the story, yeah, mm. if the story the, that the, the story, patient is yeah. telling is is sad and and quite yeah. quite traumatizing, and you're saying, "Great, okay, nice," yeah, and yeah. You know, imagine it, it's it's yeah, and, it, and what it, the patient must be thinking. <laughs> no, exactly, and it's and it's a habit you've formed from trying to you know be an active listener but it, it's not a good habit you've got, you got to find a different filler word yeah does anyone what's your filler word do you have a filler word mm. yeah mm, i do mm a lot but i'm with um i'm on a placement currently in sorry i'm my gp buddy this year his filler word is gosh gosh, gosh. i know it sounds like it shouldn't work but it actually kind of does nearly oh. everything as in okay mm-hmm. and then mm. and then when you want to say a word that helps you move on to the next thing in your agenda. I'm not sure that's one that I'll be adopting. I'll, I'll never stick with, mm. use that word. <laughs> I quite enjoy it. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes is quite a good filler word for me. I find that one. Yes. Mm. Yes. That's the one that I use the most. Mm. Yes. Okay. If it's informal, cool. But obviously not with a patient. Never, <laughs> never with a patient. Yeah. Okay. How about you? What's your filler word, Anna? I don't have one. I've experimented with several. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm an mm you probably listeners have noticed that I mm, quite a lot. You know, it's just because I'm interested in what you're saying. Mm. Um, mm. Okay, let's move on from <laughs> the words that we use <laughs> to indicate that we're listening. I think we've had a really interesting discussion today, and I think we just scratched the surface of like what it means to work with patients as a medical student. But yeah, like Laura, I'd like to say a huge thank you to all the patients I spoke to who were willing to share their experiences. And also, you know, all those patients out there on the wards who are willing to be prodded and poked in the name of medical education. So thank you so much. We do mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Before we wrap up, I'd just like to leave you guys with something from an article called What It Feels Like to Be an Interesting Teaching Opportunity. 
And this article is part of the BMJ's What Your Patient Is Thinking series, which is really worth checking out. And um, this is what Ruth Tapp wrote about students coming to observe when she had a chest drain inserted. So she wrote this. The students themselves listened, observed, made notes and spoke entirely to the doctor in charge, with one exception. While the doctor in charge had stepped out to prepare the chest drain, a young male student asked me how I was feeling. He sounded sincerely concerned. I said that I was very scared and he replied that he could understand why, but that he thought I would be okay. The doctor returned and I watched as a clear jelly-like substance was injected into my arm. I started to feel woozy as the sedative took effect. Students on the wards can make such a difference by including us rather than just observing us. Reassure the patient yourself if your seniors haven't done so. For example, simply stating, if at any point you'd like us to leave, just say. And I really, really enjoyed this article and Mm. it's part of the reason why I wanted to make this podcast. So I think it's a really powerful example of where students can really help patients to feel empowered to say yes or no to them being involved in their care. Yes. If you'd like to read the rest of the article, I'll put a link in the episode description. So, Raihan, have you learned anything today that you're going to take back when you go back to medical school? I think my vocabulary is expanded. Um, you're going to be using <laughs> gosh. Yeah. <I> think... Regularly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the all important tone of voice. Yeah. For sure. No. Um, but no, I think it's. I think it's more so like an appreciation of the time and effort that patients take to come out and. I've I've always felt like this because I do wonder like if I was asked and would and I had a certain condition would I do it but again this is sort of like being out of clinical practice for like a year because of this integrated degree it's made me like remember like and that that feeling of appreciation for patients who actually take time out of their day to allow students like us to take a really long history and Mm. ask irrelevant questions but they allow us and and props to them what about you lara i'm going to pick up and keep with me to the points that um speaks today gave us one of them is to consider the patient's comfort when doing an abdominal aorta exam yeah that's a good practical tip and never finish anyone's sentences yeah that's 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 a big one that's, actually, that's yeah. the yeah. one that's, that's the other one i'm going to bear in mind especially as yeah. i go back a into lot of students have a couple of made that mistake yeah well i think for me as well it's been great to hear that sometimes students can make a real difference mm, so i'm definitely that. gonna try and sort of keep that with me when i go back to medical school in august So that's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. And if you'd like to hear more from us, click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks' time, you'll get our next episode straight to your phone. And while you wait for the next episode, why not check us out on social media? We're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch, or leave us a review, again, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love to hear ideas for what we should cover later on in the season. Until next time, it's goodbye from all of us in the studio. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.